Hey Avi, what's up, man? Welcome to the Mike and Shots podcast. Thank you so much for having me here, and uh, it's a pleasure to do a podcast with you. Uh, quite an interesting format that you have come up with. Thank you so Sorry, much, man. I'm and, not sure. Um, the Alexa is not sure. I'll just mute it. It's okay. Yeah. Alexa is not sure if the format is good or not. <laughs> I'm quite sure. So you know, I'm I'm very excited to have you here on this episode because I discovered you on Tyke right, and you are doing something which is pretty exciting right now in the world, uh, which is smart factories we'll definitely talk more about it but before going there avi i think uh, it makes sense for us to just have a brief intro about you so you are the ceo and futurist at twin technologies right and you've worked with a lot of companies before that uh, in the uh, smart factory domain i can say or the industry 4.0 domain probably so you come with a lot of experience over there and you know throughout the conversation i'll try and understand more about industry 4.0 where do various technologies fit in over there like iot ai probably right we'll talk about machine learning and uh, i also discovered something called as dark factories probably you have some idea about that as well so we'll Absolutely. try and shed some light on that and then we'll move on to entrepreneurship about your side of the world right so over to you man I wanted to shed a little bit more light on your background and then we'll begin um so basically i started my career uh, working as a technology consultant i had a good fortune of starting right with google none other than google worked there for quite some time and then uh, early on in my career i was very fortunate that the technology domain was just coming up at that point of time and again this is 10 years ago more than 10 years ago now at that point of time uh, i i was consulting for brands like philips uh, hewels maruti and the likes panasonic and then the likes so uh, early on i got a good exposure in terms of how uh, the technology transformation is happening how it is disrupting various industries and what are corporates doing to gear up for that that's so what what that led to exactly is uh, when my particular job description is being a futurist so my job is to visualize how the world is going to be 20 30 50 years down the lane and how those changes are just beginning right now and that disruption is coming in and how industries need to change and what do they need to change to adapt to the new world interesting so you know i'll begin with the the stuff that you are you're building twin technologies right how did you come up with the idea of twin right and uh, smart factories essentially yeah so um, that was right from the start that i was very passionate about technology and i wanted to get into the technology space only that's there so working as a technology consultant as i told you i got exposure going into um, some of the biggest factories in india and i had seen the show called mega factories uh, i think a lot of yeah. fans of the show the rohit shaw are already there in uh, that geo and at that point of time uh, i imagined these factories to be like uh, hubs of um, you know cutting edge technology wherein robots are doing everything and that was the expectation but when i i would not like to name the brand exactly but uh, it is a fortune 100 company but when i entered the manufacturing plant which is kilometers and kilometers i was uh, gravely disappointed in terms of uh, Uh, it seems like that that they are using still using technologies from 1980s and 90s and then i immediately picked up that this is one uh, um, sector that is due for disruption right now because if you see how many students or how uh, get an exposure to factories like how many people around you you pick up 10 people how many of them would have gone to an actual manufacturing plant not um, everybody yeah. wants to focus and build the next big app or the next big aggregation model or yeah. an e-commerce website and the likes so nobody pays attention to these core uh, industries that are there so i that is why the unicorns are not coming out of it and that was that is why we are in this industry so uh, you talked about visiting a factory like which was huge right so what did you observe like i know that you observed like all practices were there and you know anything specific which kind of uh, kind of opened your eyes like okay this is missing over here and i've seen that somewhere else stuff like you that know, a lot of things i mean not just missing but practices which do not which are not not required mm-hmm. um so i saw somebody pick up a metal frame uh, basically a metal frame out of a furnace from hands of course with gloves and everything yeah but like molten uh, metal dropping in from there and picking it up from and, and i was shocked that i mean uh, that this is how things are actually happening in the manufacturing plants i asked somebody uh, somebody was assembling an engine transmission and both of these parts one part is 7 kg another part is 5 kg 
and the person does it 500 times in a day wow. uh, and it's a redundant task which is just picking and placing things up so even painting in some places uh, does not happen with complete robots which is i mean paint is carcinogenic so a lot of these safety hazards that were there uh, kind of triggered me and uh, i thought this is uh, something that is not of course uh, there were other uh, small inconsistencies being a technologist you might find it weird but uh, i went there and i asked them that how was this like the data from this machine there was a plc there's something called a programmable logic controller okay. that is connected to a machine then i asked what is this it says it's a computer that takes in data and at back then it was like very very early on in my career so i wasn't i didn't have that kind of exposure it takes in the data and it just gives out uh, through sensor and it just gives out the output and i was like okay. why can a small single board computer can cannot do this and so the kind of this technology i found out that this technology is 2025 years old and these they are still using those legacy ports and technologies and not are not willing to upgrade so yeah these small inefficiencies that were there these safety hazards that were there that really got to me and i was like this is not necessary and just use of technology this can be eliminated and cost benefits can be realized so why not and we are also not talking about these we are not talking about small factories that are in homes or anywhere we are talking about large manufacturing plants some of the biggest companies in the world right and i have uh, you know during my research i saw that uh, countries like china like the us and germany they have like adopted smart factories in a big big way followed by say south korea and other countries as well right and probably uh, through your experience across these uh, factories and all you might have discovered the fact that you know industry 4.0 is the next level of manufacturing and say the, the factories right you know i want to learn more about industry 4.0 and even the listeners would like to learn more about industry 4.0 what is industry 4.0 and what were the it's basically a revolution the fourth industrial revolution and what were the revolutions before this even you know just to set the context right so industry 4 4.0 is basically the fourth industrial revolution it's a short form of uh, which is you know used to refer to uh, the fourth industrial revolution so that being said uh, there's the name such as there have been three revolutions before this uh, so this is the fourth one and it is in progress so how technology evolves is not in isolation but in tandem with other technologies so everything is linked together so let's say if you talk about iot or edge computing and we talk about lot of these iot systems coming in and their communication with each other so that is where 5g comes in in terms of if 5g will not be there this communication and everything the bandwidth will not be there so for one technology to evolve uh, it, other technologies also need to evolve along with it and one thing leads to the other and that's why once lot of these technologies are evolving together and entering a new phase it is referred to as an industrial revolution because it is maybe a landmark that has happened so when we are in the revolution it's not necessary that we are uh, it is evident that we are now sort of like right now we are in the fourth industrial revolution and it's already happening to a large extent it has happened in a lot of places and then there are still gaps in there and these are terms that are loosely defined per se so for it's not a concrete definition that these five technologies fall under this and once this happens now we have concretely entered into the next phase but it is more like a very dynamic thing so the first revolution started loosely when the um, you know steam and mechanization uh, started happening um, because before that humans used to um, do the manual work and all the production was hand hand done then when the steam and mechanization started to happen uh, it was a landmark the delta of the change that happened was significant so we refer to as a revolution secondly when electricity came in uh, it is referred to as uh, the uh, you know say motorization and everything the loosely referred to as second industrial revolution but again a lot of things a lot of other technologies are also changing and a lot of other things are also coming in and uh, loosely when computers started to come in that's referred to the third industrial revolution per se because now even intelligent work and everything can be intelligent not in the no sense of that particular word can also be taken care fourth industrial revolution which we are in today is uh, you know led by the edge computing virtual reality iot based systems and all of, all of those and the next one uh, fifth industrial revolution is also in the percept now which okay. is being led by ai so all right yeah. i mean these are very loosely translated uh, terms percept yeah yeah 100% and you know through your experience like being a futurist and being worked in these companies which is like just uh, wanted to know out of curiosity which is the smartest factory you've been to is there any one which is like you've been to a crazy one 
So I think uh, the craziest factor that I would refer to is the BMW factory um, that has just come up. But it's a complete digital factory. That like, I mean, a particular part of it is a complete digital factory, wherein we are talking about uh, one layer above smart factories. Of course, that is smart factory manufacturing intelligence is one layer. A layer about that, the above that is digital manufacturing and uh, digital twins uh, per se. So it is world's uh, first effective factory with a digital uh, twin in there. And uh, whatever is happening in the manufacturing plant, you can visualize it outside. So I think I would call that a landmark uh, manufacturing unit. Interesting, because you mentioned digital twin. And I would like to know more about it because it's like a brand new concept probably. And somewhere down the line, does it also involve uh, virtual reality and augmented reality at its core? Certainly, certainly. Uh, so these are the technologies, the framework technologies that make uh, digital twin a reality. Uh, it is, it requires uh, your metaverse, it requires extended reality, it requires blockchain, it requires edge computing, it requires industrial IoT, it requires 4G and communication, 5G and communication. Yeah. So a lot of these technologies coming together uh, would result in a digital twin. So if I very simply explain the concept, again, everything has different layers, but the ultimate uh, paramount concept, if I um, per se, if I put forward, as the owner of a manufacturing plant that has you put in your glasses um, you know your augmented reality glasses which would have let's say possibly the form factor of regular glasses a globe comes in front of you wherein it would geographically show you contextually where all your plants are located you touch one particular plant on your table it opens up you it is augmented on top of that and once you press a certain point in it you're able to virtually walk in that particular plant as you're walking in the real plant while this is happening, the entire thing is live, synchronized. So if one person is walking in that plant or the machine is functioning, same thing is happening here. So it's it's been basically a jodwa. That it's like uh, whatever is happening at one place is happening in the other place. So this is a digital replica, a complete digital mirror image and a live mirror image of a of a factory or a plant. So, and uh, what are the benefits of having a digital twin? Like, uh, what does it? How does it benefit? Like any any factory in a way. I mean, it is going to completely change the game and transform the game uh, entirely. It's not a question of benefits. It's it's a question of the delta of this transformation would be so high uh, that uh, manufacturing is not going to be the same. So uh, what is going to happen is delta of the transformation of this, uh, how the manufacturing is going to change after that would be so high that it's not going to be the same. So imagine a completely new operating system or a completely new way to interact with your uh, uh, plants. So normally we, uh, every product has a product life cycle, right? That this product has a life cycle of five years, every year it gets upgraded and all, but we never look at factories as products. We can look with this particular concept. We can look at factories as a product that has a life cycle of 30 years. And if a product has a life cycle of 30 years, imagine the improvements that that can happen in the factories, but we rarely any improvements happen per se. So you, the, with this concept, you can see that if a factory is in China, the robotics company is in Germany, the designer is in South Africa, um, and the consultant can be from India. And all of these people can gather around a virtual, uh, in a virtual world, in a virtual simulated uh, twin, yeah. and uh, can make different changes in the factory. So now they can decide, let's update the software of this robot. Mm. Once they update the software of the robot, and then using a simulator, uh, they can yeah. simulate what result it will get and how the robot will improve the efficiency of that process. And it's yeah. not tied to a real factory right now. But once they know that the improvement in this one particular process is, uh, let's say, 10%, 15%, then they can just press synchronize button and it, the changes will be synchronized from the twin to the real factory. So imagine every quarter them gathering out in this particular plant and doing such changes and one to two percent uh, improvement happens in the factories every quarter. For companies like Toyota or Volkswagen or PNG, this would translate into um, I mean millions and millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars. And again, I'm just scratching the surface because again, mm. the question answer of the question will be too long. Uh, but it again, it is going to completely change, and I can diverge down into it as to what other possibilities is it opens up. But um, yeah. That's just scratching the surface. No, I got it. And since we're talking about uh, smart factories and stuff, what is the opportunity here? Like it's just starting out, right? And you know, we can go a long way. So any uh, idea on the opportunity size, what's going to happen? 
So digital transformation is globally a $600 billion market right now. And by 2027, it's going to be a $1,500 billion market. Billion. So it's going to get a CAGR of more than 21.5% uh, roughly. Wow. And uh, you can see it's mammoth that is moving. I mean, it's a blue whale moving at the speed of a swordfish. So yeah, yeah. That, that's the kind of, uh, it's a big, huge market moving at a huge pace. Now, all of the global Fortune 500 companies or Fortune 100 companies have a goal. That in terms of, uh, um, you know, the, the, by 2030, we'll be completely digitally transformed. By 2025, we'll be partially digitally transformed. They also have sustainability goals in terms of carbon emissions or, um, you know, they have to be carbon neutral or carbon negative. They have, uh, you know, operational efficiency goals, which is by Kaizen, um, yeah. which is constant improvements in processes. Um, they have worker safety goals. So all of these goals are can only be realized with digital transformation. And since they have a separate budget for it, and since they have, uh, um, you know, uh, for, uh, digital transformation officers now, so they, this is a huge focus area. And and uh, relatively, there are very very few people into this particular space uh, because you would terabytes and terabytes of data needs to be collected for this to happen. Mm. The deployments would be in such scales that the sensors that would be required for this kind of making this kind of twin would not be in millions. Billions of sensors is what we are talking about. And no mm. one individual company can uh, do this. Um, and so there is a huge potential for any entrepreneur that is looking forward to within this particular space. Interesting. And, you know, before we move on to another, the other segment, Tell me more about AI because AI right now is kind of booming in, in a way that natural language processing, chat GPT, Google Bard and stuff are just coming in. How can AI, it's also part of industry 5.0, which is the next revolution that's coming in. How can AI essentially like improve uh, manufacturing or improve the factories or make it more like uh, productive? Shed some more light on that piece. So, I mean, where, where can it not impact? That's the, that should be the question. So starting with the things like predictive maintenance. So what if I tell you, even before a machine breaks down in your manufacturing plant, a week in advance, uh, the AI can predict that the machine is going to break down in the future and generates an alert for you. And then you can fix up that particular point. You know, what is happening is uh, people say that data is the new oil, right? But data has failed to be the new oil in the manufacturing mm -hmm. industry. 95% um, data that is generated in manufacturing specifically is never used mm -hmm. because data in itself has no um, value if the analytics yeah. or models are not there on top of it. So you can, the, the easiest uh, analogy that I can make here is imagine a security guard watching over 500 cameras or 5,000 cameras and, and it's in the screen in front of him. I mean, what will it lead yeah. to really? Yeah. Yeah. So because and, and manual analytic models that are made are not that scalable. So if mm -hmm. I'm making a custom manual algorithm based model, it would not be very scalable. So there would be a lot of, uh, you know, machine learning involved. And because of that, uh, there's a lot of potential of use of this data in terms of analytics and improvements. So predictive maintenance, I just talked about. I talked about, I, I can also talk about audits that can be made uh, mm. using our, you know, visual data and both uh, data that is collected. Otherwise, we can talk about, uh, um, you know, analyzing the bottlenecks in the entire process. We can talk about human resource management uh, as to giving efficiency score or productivity score or safety score to people. We can talk about uh, use of computer vision in quality control. Um, so analyzing the defects into certain products that they are made. So uh, we can talk about how your inventory is moving vis-a-vis, uh, yeah. -vis, let's say in September or October, the seasons are changing. So how your warehouse should be realigned as to what has to be put outside so that the pickup time gets reduced by one and a half, one, one and a half seconds. So, I mean, the thing is where it cannot be used would, would be the, the, the question uh, as necessarily. Superb, man. And, you know, uh, you've talked about these things, right? Now, uh, where does twin fit over here? Like, how do you go to folks and talk about these things? Like, what do you do, like, in general, in terms of solving this problem? So, uh, if you understand our target market is basically Fortune 500 companies only, because at this point of time, uh, the benefits are more realized in that particular direction. Now, what we are saying is they are already collecting terabytes and terabytes of data. But um, still, the, there are four key challenges that all of the people um, face and the targets of the factors are. 
Number one being Kaizen, which, which is a Japanese concept meaning continuous improvements in the process, continuous improvements in efficiency and, and, and everything. Uh, second is total safety that might translate to worker safety and cyber security both. Then Six Sigma, which is a concept which means 99.6664% accuracy that is required in the production and the products. Yeah. And the last being the sustainability development goals, carbon emissions and sustainability development goals. Mm. So these are the targets that every Fortune 500 company has and is completely focusing on. Now, uh, to explain why a digital twin is the best solution for achieving these, because now the supply chains are disrupting. Everything mm. is completely changing. And even if you're collecting data, if the data does not have context, the data yeah. is useless. I'll take an example of using Google Maps. Right. So before Google Maps came in, you used to have 2D paper-based maps. Now, everything was mentioned in the map that this is the road, this is the name of the road, this is the direction. But because the data wasn't contextualized into, as in it was not superimposed or put on the real world, the map wasn't really useful. For mm. some of us who have a very analytical mind, they can read the spreadsheets and all and try to analyze the data in a little better manner. Yeah. But for most of us who are, who are visual thinkers and collaborative thinkers, a spreadsheet or things might not make sense. Mm. So right now what I'm talking about is, uh, the analogy that I'm trying to make is collecting data from systems and just displaying them on 2D screens or paper production data is similar to giving 2D uh, maps to people. But now after Google Maps, you have turn-by-turn navigation. And yeah. when, when you're at that particular point, it's asking you to turn. So there is context to the data, which is overlaid on real world. And that's where our digital twin comes in. So, you know, you, 50 people can gather around and see a problem. And then they can, they can, they can analyze things like, Oh, because there is so much of clogging in this particular warehouse, this point is built in such a manner that traffic gets built up here. That's yeah. why the forklifts are getting stuck. So there is some real world context to that particular Correct. data rather than just seeing the pickups. And that's where digital twin comes in. Why data has failed in manufacturing is because it's lacking context and it can only yeah. be given context in an immersive, in an immersive in a visual world. So that's mm. where uh, twin comes in. So exciting to hear all this because tech is moving at a fast pace right now. And you know, when you go to a customer and talk about all these things, have you observed that the fact that what's the mindset of the customers? Like that was the question. Like, do are they open enough to adopt such a technology shift change or are they still adamant and they want to stick to industry 3.0 uh, stuff, which is, has been there, the legacy stuff. What's See, if I'm being very realistic uh, and open with it, is different markets are... Uh... Um, be, behave in a different manner. Yeah. Ours is a market that is very heavy uh, on contract-based manufacturing. So basically, we would produce goods for companies or OEMs that are outside of India, governed by certain processes and things. Um, so at the end, uh, the thing is, when the pressure will come from the OEM, that is when the transformation should happen. And until then, the cost of uh, these inefficiencies are basically overlooked upon. Um, and there is comparatively less focus on in terms of sustainability, worker safety and other things in, in, in here. But that is of course changing. So a lot of promises is, are there. But other than that, Indian manufacturers like like Maruti Group are one of our clients, Jindal Steeler is one of our clients in, in the Indian context. So yeah, there are people who are uh, willing to change this and take the lead. Uh, markets outside uh, India are much more receptive to this particular uh, transformation. Because, uh, I mean, there we don't have to have conversations in terms of uh, um, uh, why this needs to be done. The, yeah. There, people are confused in terms of digital transformation has to be done. No doubts about it. There's a budget for it. There are people that they are hiring for it and all of those things are there. But there's so much confusion in market that this one particular digital transformation can be done in 200 ways. So mm. what is the best way of doing digital transformation? So there's a lot of confusion in all out mm. there. So it's more of an education-based uh, approach or consultative-based approach that we have to take there. And again, it's also depending on industry. So if it is mm -hmm. a process industry like uh, uh, petroleum, oil refineries, or uh, you know steel industry, they are already collecting a lot of data because all of right. their furnaces, machines, and all the stakes are very high are monitored. So it's easy for them to implement this compared to a uh, industry like fashion industry, cloth mm -hmm. industry. Wherein work is so much manual that the yeah. basic automation is not done. So forget about having collecting data and taking that. Correct. So yeah, that's the realistic idea of the market. Right. So uh, you know, just curious about the fact that uh, the transformation has a cost to it, and 
probably you realize the cost later. So from your perspective, uh, is cost a challenge uh, or, you know, basically, if, uh, yeah. 100%. So um, if we talk about the very technology, this has existed since 1970s. One of the first digital twins, if I'm not wrong about the year, was done in 1969 by NASA in Apollo 13. Hmm. Uh, so the astronauts in Apollo 13 were saved uh, using a digital twin. So the the basis of this technology has always existed. But uh, as, a, as I'm telling you, the technology doesn't evolve in silos. It evolves in tandem and in uh, co collaboration with other technologies. So right now, since the other technologies have caught up, this is the right time for it to be done. But uh, that being a, a thing, when cost is a real challenge. Now the MNCs and all that are working on this particular concept, once they take into account that billions of sensors need to be put into places and the data needs to be collected and processed, and everything, it becomes such ginormous task that the mm. cost obnoxious and uh, it, yeah. it doesn't really get deployed um, so that's what where our approach comes in so what we are saying is uh, we are doing scalable digital transformation digital transformation that is connected and scalable being the two key differentiating factors in here wherein we have our own hardware that we have manufactured uh, we have our own software we have our own drivers and protocols that we have written which are connected, which are compatible with legacy hardware and modern hardware um, so that the cost can be kept at a uh, bare minimum level in terms of the transformation becomes a reality and also uh, the technology is getting cheaper and cheaper other technologies are catching up so this is the right time uh, for this transformation to take place and for this transformation to happen and again the cost of not doing it is far more expensive because there are real problems i'm giving an example let's say you are um, Maruti, right? And I manufacture frames for you. Uh, you are, let's say, any car manufacturer. Let's not take an example, take names. You are a car manufacturer. I manufacture uh, car frames for you. And a customer, our viewers, one of the viewers has bought the car. Um, and that particular car, even after buying, uh, he has driven it, he or she has driven it for five years. And a problem has come in welding of the frame. Do you know the implications of this particular problem? You, I mean, I, as the frame manufacturer, has to recall the entire lot, the entire batch of frames, just yeah. because one person five years down the lane had a problem with 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 a welding right. of a one particular frame. Um, and if you think that these things don't happen, just in last twenty years, thirty five hundred such recalls have happened wow. just in the US. And the cost of each recall, uh, can you humor me with a number? What would be the cost of one such recall? Must be multiple millions. $2 billion wow. average. <laughs> so that is quality control in an automobile industry, in a country. Um, and I mean, that's the scale of the problem. But again, uh, the implication, cost implications is uh, enormous. So cost of not doing it is much more expensive because at the end of the day, the first movers will get advantage of this and uh, disrupt the manufacturing. Interesting. Because you pointed out these things and I could uh, gather that efficiency is definitely, that's going to be there through industry 4.0. Then quality of the products will definitely improve as you talked about recalls, right? And then there's another concept which I read about is something called as dark factories. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, factories operating without like humans and any light and you know uh, human supervision and stuff so is that a reality or is that something only a story which i read about like are these factories no, that's there? very much that's very much a reality and it's happening today okay. of course uh, some industry is quicker than others so the concept loosely translated in a very shrewd manner uh, means that in the factory of the future there will be two organisms a man and a dog the man will feed the dog and the dog will ensure that the man doesn't touch anything. That's the basic concept of a dog factory. Let's simplify this, uh, understanding certain industries. Let's take example of pharmaceutical industry and uh, cosmetics industry. So both of these industries, uh, they require certain compounds. There are certain input compounds that are, the, let's say, essential oils. There is certain matrix or media that is being used. There are certain chemicals that are being used. And they are processed under certain temperature and certain pressure. Hmm. to give rise to final compounds. Yeah. So it, it, it's a process like that. Uh, now, since there are people today who have real 
uh, not just as a concept, uh, who are working uh, and who have demonstrated and uh, delivered uh, factories that are uh, completely capable of putting in. So uh, let's say you just put in the formulation using a QR code, you put in the formulation in that particular autonomous or a dark factory per se, and you will get the end product. You can get a batch of one product or you can run it for a batch of 10 to 15,000 products a day. Mm. And it becomes a whole decentralized uh, kind of a yeah. factory system. Wherein you, let's say you don't have to go for supply chain or distribution because the factory is just as big as a room. And okay. that particular factory, you can keep uh, into 200 places so that logistics wow. and all, whatever you need to produce and uh, 10 OEMs can just tell them that this is my formulation, can be manufactured and distributed. Now put this on a digital twin a digital replica because it remote monitoring is of course needed for a yeah. factory like that and uh, you put it uh, on uh, in a metaverse in a blockchain and you just hear me out and, and uh, you know bear with me here and put it as decentralized uh, autonomous organizations uh, as a DAO. Yeah. So I make an investment of one crore uh, in this particular dark factory and I put something uh, like uh, I divide it into the investments of one lakh and put it on a platform like Tyke or make some platform for it. And uh, if all those one lakh uh, and hundred users put in one lakh to get that one crore uh, family. Mm. Using smart contracts, somebody can just put in, uh, uh, you know, an order for XYZ, just like you put in an order in an e-commerce website. Correct. And then the factory automatically starts to function and the profits at the end of the day are distributed to all these decentralized owners of that particular manufacturing plant. Um, oh so, my yeah. God. <laughs> this is so crazy. Yaar. I haven't heard anything like this ever in my life. <laughs> Uh, that's what that's what most of the people that I pitch to or that I usually work with internationally also um, uh, you know say. But yeah. this is very much a reality. You yeah. have to realize how technology is progressing. People say that metaverse is a farce, or I mean, uh, all of these technologies will never catch up. It's the very nature uh, of how things are. Very simply, you understand this. Today, there are metaverse experiences that exist wherein if you put in the headset they match the resolution of human eye almost so 8k in each eye um, and you cannot tell the product that is in front of you is real or artificial okay yeah well you put the glasses and you'll not be able to tell that they'll put some real product in it they'll put some arti artificial virtual product in it 100%. it is so realistic you'll not be able to tell this table is real and this table is not real yeah now it's only a matter of time where the form factor actually reduces to the form factor of normal glasses yes i mean that too has happened by some companies like north and everything but uh, those qualities yet to be done so it's only a matter of time wherein both things fuse and that happens 10 years down the lane and yes. with all the digital twins and digital transformation coming in why as a why would you show your customer why would you take a, your customer to a physical factory and show it to them there you would just ask them to put in your glasses you will sit in your, your home and they'll take a tour um, you can then you can imagine ai based robots doing audits there yeah. Audits happening happens once in, in a year in a factory. So the and our AI robot can keep scanning in the factory day in and day out and do not only data-based audits, but visual audits of how mm. things are looking and moving. So it's only a matter of why, how can this not happen? Why would it not happen? Any sane person would be able to predict that this is going to happen. It's only a matter of time. Crazy man, because that was supposed to be my next question. Like, is this really the future? Like, do you see this as the future or uh, it's going to take a lot of time to reach that? But what do you think? Like, is this really the future? 100% it, it yeah. cannot be avoided. So yeah. as we are saying, we have shifted to Zoom calls now. Mm -hmm. I'll give you one, one uh, you know, option to choose. Yeah. Right? This podcast that we are doing, we can do it on a 2D screen that is right in front of you and a 2D screen that's in front of me and you see yeah. my video, I'm seeing your video. And the other is, uh, I'll give you glasses that you can just put on your eyes, which are yeah. form factor of real, uh, I mean, normal glasses that are there. Yeah. And uh, you can, you'll not be able to recognize my virtual avatar that is in front of you is uh, real or not. And we can have conversations one-on-one -on -one like that. If the technology is there, which one would you choose? The 2D glasses one is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. there, is, there is no doubt about that. 
it's only a matter of time because uh, such experiences today they exist yeah. which you will not be able to tell what is real and what is not and similarly such form factors today exist so only five to ten years down the lane you will be able to match both of the things and they'll come to a cause that is scalable first it will be in, in defense and medical and industrial uses then it will slowly come down to the custom consumer level it's not a matter of if it will happen or not it is going to happen it's only mm. a matter of time and you know i was coming to the fact that some challenges will be there like from what i can understand is that research is definitely going on that's that's going on and a lot of money is being poured into research then adoption right education these are the, some of the challenges i foresee like cost also is there any other challenge you foresee to such a technological revolution apart from these so technology exists today honestly speaking uh, only incremental upgrades are required in technology cost wise scalability and having a connectivity is are the only two options that uh, that are yeah. there. so um, getting all of these giant companies into one big platform like so let's say um, one company cannot make the metaverse it's a combination wherein all of the people need to come together yeah. so one is having an isolated xr experience at mm -hmm. your home with your vr headset that's a separate thing i'm talking about the connectivity in yeah. here where all companies come to a central platform and you, you can have like that so that is going to take a bit of time that standardization of different technologies protocols and all of that that's going to take time and second is the scalability of cost uh, of gathering such yeah. so much data from the sensors and you know that uh, other than that there are no challenges and though these two things are have always been if you see that the the transition of the technology have always been addressed over a period of time. So, I mean, nothing uh, out of ordinary that we are talking about here in the scale Definitely. of current things. Please. What I, one thing that I would like to say is like, as the opportunity, something that is very, very close to my heart and why I became an entrepreneur and a tech entrepreneur specifically. So there are three types of basically countries that are there in the world. One of the countries are dependent on the innovation. So mm -hmm. let's say Germans, Japanese, and Americans, they build technologies, they build patents for it, and then they capitalize on that. The second tier is uh, company, countries like China um, um, and you know Vietnam and other countries who are saying that we can manufacture it for you, even though we cannot innovate, it, we can manufacture it for you. Yeah. Um, and the, thirdly, there are countries that really depend on the, the, the providing the solutions for it. In terms of they're saying we can provide services for it, we cannot innovate, we cannot manufacture, we can provide services for it. And sadly, that's the category that we are lying in at this moment. Although some of the most cutting edge, uh, uh, you know, tech resources are from India, um, yep. and uh, but that hasn't translated really to an innovation-based environment or, or you know, translated to entrepreneurs actually making that. We have been known as good managers. We have been yep. known as good workers. We have been known as good researchers, Correct. but. Uh, good risk takers and uh, good innovators not at the moment but i think the potential is there so i would request more and more people to you know uh, take this particular route and uh, work on the innovation let's yes. not do a me too product that one product exists globally and let's make it a cheaper product and just build yeah. it in india let's do something that is uh, miles ahead yes and, uh, so, and that's what, you know, I would really urge people to do. Although the investor ecosystem uh, and the ecosystem right now is not very supportive for uh, hardware entrepreneurs per se, because uh, the VC ecosystem in India has existed for, let's say, 10, 15 years barely. Yeah. And everybody has idea of uh, SaaS-based startups or Correct. software or e-commerce-based startups. But hardware-based startups, wherein you do investments and you uh, and the incubation of the investment is 10, 15, 20 years, that concept is still alien to mm. most of the investors' community. So yeah, uh, but we can start somewhere. In fact, uh, you know, because you were talking about this, I had this question in mind. You know, when you uh, bring about such technological changes in the hardware side of the world, right? Uh, there's a section of the labor force which gets affected in a good and a bad way, right? So what will happen like with industry 4.0? Say, I know people are going to get affected, but there's going to be another workforce which is getting skilled, right? Coming in, right? What's your perspective on that? Like job and skill? Okay. So one thing that I didn't want really to touch base upon, but uh, since we are talking, yes. Um, 
so we need to understand things in a globalization and macroeconomics context if we really need to understand the impact or the outcome for it see nobody wants that uh, workers are out of the job or workers are replaced i personally uh, always being an entrepreneur and uh, being responsible for 50 families i always uh, uh, you know uh, look forward to the long term uh, um, you know development of people rather than just hiring and firing kind of a scenario mm. Um, but if you see from a perspective of a person who's working in a, uh, who's owning a factory, yeah. if I am making this particular uh, keyboard, mm-hmm. per se, right, and uh, there are 10 other factories that are producing this particular keyboard, because of automation and because of mechanization, those particular factories can produce this keyboard uh, in much more volumes, in mm-hmm. a better quality, yep. and at a cheaper cost. Yes. Then who is going to buy this keyboard from my factory? Nobody is going to give me the contract for manufacturing in this, right? And how long will I be able to take care of my workers? Even though I would not want to let them go, but the option is closing down the company or uh, switching to automation. So it's it's that kind of a challenge. Um, Now, and these things cannot be guarded by policies or cannot be forced by governments. It's capitalism at the end of the day, which is driving each and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So you need to understand that automation and mechanization is going to happen. Now, uh, governments need to play a proactive role in terms of making policies uh, for, for, you know, adjusting the society to these particular changes. Like in in globally, uh, governments have already started to experiment with robotic tax. Mm. and universal basic income so basically mm. basically taxing the robots that are working in the factories getting you know taxes out of it and then reputting it in the economy and distributing yes. it to people they have analyzed long term effects of it whether people are usually wasting it uh, mm. or you know reinvesting in their education and not mostly they are uh, it, it's chosen to be very productive yeah. uh, but again we also need to keep in mind the basic psychological nature of human beings which is yes. Uh, the hierarchical uh, context. It's not the matter of whether I am well to do or not. The idea <laughs> is that I have to be better than my, I mean, my car has to be bigger than your car. Yeah. It doesn't matter yes. if I have a car and you have a car. So that's also, the, I mean, a lot of complex things need to be taken Correct. into account. Having said that, I imagine a utopian future wherein uh, human beings would pursue or focus on higher pursuits. Mm-hmm. Higher pursuits like art, like music, like spirituality, like human to human connection. It would be a good world. Once all of these technologies come together, um, let's say your resources are being mined by mining robots, then they are loaded into self-driving trucks by pick and place robotic arms. And those trucks are self-driving and they're reaching in a, in a dark and autonomous factory wherein resources are being produced. Yes. And then they are being dispatched to you by drones, per yep. se. So, I mean, why would you need to work? Uh, you can focus on higher pursuits like art, music, yeah. uh, and, and spirituality and personal satisfaction. So I look at a utopian world like that. <laughs> now it totally depends on us, both as entrepreneurs, <laughs> youngsters, governments, as to whether how rough the transition between that this world and that utopian world will happen. Yes. It can it can happen very uh, easily uh, or smoothly or it, it can happen with uh, you know, a lot of shake. I actually read about this same concept somewhere. Somebody had talked about it and uh, probably uh, that was the most fascinating bit which you talked about, like the utopian world and where uh, people will pursue higher pursuits and stuff like that. And, you know, you know, going forward, I would like to move on to the next segment. Although I'm very much fascinated by what you're talking about right now. It's like so crazy and futuristic for me personally because I haven't heard anything like this before. Even when it comes to the metaverse because I'm a big fanatic when it comes to the metaverse and VR and AR, right? So as an entrepreneur, right, because you've been uh, in the space for a while, right? what's been your journey? Like in short, you talked about it in the first segment as well. Uh, how's it been for you till now between and other stuff you do? Yeah. So as, at the end of the day, the goal that drives us is not to be um, an entrepreneur or be a unicorn or a billion dollar company. That's not the goal uh, per se. The goal that I started with is the reason why I started to do this is very different. As I told you, there are India today needs, entrepreneurs are not usually never celebrated. Um, Mm. No offense, like cricketers, film stars and everything, all of those people are celebrated, but entrepreneurs usually are never celebrated. And with there is this whole uh, transition from socialization, a a social economy or a a socialist based economy that has happened, which has led to, you know, glorification of uh, poverty. 
per se. Yeah. But at the end of the day, what we are talking about today is if in your home, you have 100 rupees and then you can see 10 rupees is for your brother, 20 is for your father, 30 is for your mother. So you're redistributing and fighting over the same 100 rupees. Yep. As long as the 100 rupees doesn't become 500 rupees, prosperity cannot come into your home. Yeah. Right. Yep. So similarly, as a country, if we do not make products, Hmm. that the world desires or the world wants products that are innovative, higher quality and better, we would not be able to flourish as an economy. And for hmm. that, we need more and more entrepreneurs that yep. are that are innovation-driven entrepreneurs and uh, not scared of getting into new things, not scared of disrupting particular industries yes. and then make global caliber products. So today, if I ask you, name one hardware product from India, uh, from a startup, Person, hmm. one hardware startup in India that has internationally international recognition or in, in made an international product. I can't recall nothing on you top know, of my mind. Yeah, ninety-nine percent people will not be able to recall. Yes. people can think about take an example of Zoho or Freshworks, yes. which are of course which have done phenomenal in their own and their SaaS-based products. But the thing is, we also need to focus on hardware-based products. Yes. We need to make products in India um, which are uh, globally competent and mm. globally exportable and accredited. And that's how we will be able to transition uh, our economy and our GDP further. So that's the goal which drives us. Mm -hmm. Though, I'm, and, and the best way of doing it is, uh, I found, is being an, being an innovation-led entrepreneur. That's, that's the journey. I agree with your ideology, man. And this is so like motivating for me as well, personal, because I, I love entrepreneurship in a way because uh, my family is, I come from a business family, like from my mother's side. So I'm fascinated by how businesses work and they're not big businesses. They have small, small businesses they do. And I'm really like pumped up when I meet them and talk to them. So the second thing, which is as an entrepreneur, you're also looking at success in a way because you do something, you have to be successful to take it forward. What's your formula of success? Like, how do you see success and how do you go about achieving it? So at the end of the day, the thing is uh, success is both both as, a, as this particular company, but as life's work as well. So I will take it into two parts. Yeah. So as a company right now, we have already mastered uh, the hardware, the, the product to a great extent. Of course, they will keep, will keep upgrading as new technology comes in and new collaborations keep happening. Now we are taking this product global. So we will be opening our first global office in UA because again, it is one of the markets that is very receptive to futuristic concepts and innovation and all and taking it for, forward from there. We have already delivered some projects for some Australian companies, Singapore-based companies, Canadian companies, but UA is going to be our first physical spot from there and then we will diversify from uh, UA. And uh, we are also in talks with the some of the big tech companies right. on, on advanced stage in terms of uh, associating with them on a both uh, on, on a strategic level on a resource sharing kind of a level because at the end of the day no one company can build into metaverse yes. and even if they are working on industrial metaverse it needs to be plugged into other Correct. partners so all those tasks are at a very very advanced stage so it's only a matter of time wherein the concept blows up to a global for format but at the end of the day, what we are really looking forward to is, yes, there are targets that in 27 months, we are targeting to be a unicorn and then, uh, you know, um, going not just for valuations and everything, but then creating perpetual value for industries and people with, with, with some strategic partners. All of those things are there. But uh, my dream would be to make world's biggest innovation lab in emerging technologies in India. That And my I would count success wherein not March or let's say twin has succeeded. That is not the idea or the measure of success. The measure of success will be if, if uh, that innovation lab can create 1000 entrepreneurs mm -hmm. just like that who make up a product in um, uh, emerging technologies and take it to, to the globe and, you know, and are successful. That would be the measure of success, honestly, for me. It's got collective success, basically, right? Everybody succeeds along with you. That's the perfect way to look at it. And, you know, I wanted to ask you because you are a futurist and you look at the future in a way. Is there a template you follow to look at the future and how as it should be? Something like that that you have? See, uh, I would also say go down to the basics. Everything goes down to the basics. You need to understand the basics of macroeconomics, microeconomics. You need to understand the basics of uh, human behavior. 
human psychology. Uh, so if you need to predict how one thing will uh, do and how one thing will scale or transition, you need to, you would imagine that a lot of technology understanding is required for this, for mm -hmm. uh, being a futurist or anything, but it starts much before that. The technology mm -hmm. expertise it comes much later, but you need to see like, uh, uh, you know, how government policies are or global geopolitics is uh, face of everything and uh, you know how energy crisis that is coming in will keep impacting and how yeah. the resources yeah. are depleting so all of these things are interconnected so mm. you can gradually see a pattern yeah once you in isolation keep analyzing all of these things along with the, our connected context you will start seeing patterns in it and you will start being able to predict uh, what is going to happen in the most uh, you know best, best context as i said in case of metaverse we went down to the basics Hmm. You went on this. I mean, I am asking you, like, what would you prefer? Would you prefer me uh, 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 sitting in front of you and you will not be able to differentiate it's real or not, or yeah. you will be, you will prefer a screen? It's a very natural thing. And yeah, then I'm yeah. seeing that how the technology is transitioning in there, how collectively government policies are being formulated. Right now, of course, cryptocurrencies and everything uh, are being pushed back. There's a great pushback in there. But at the end of the day, there has to be some value exchange mm -hmm. that has. To happen over this and once these banks and institutions and all keep coming in into this particular metaverse reality all of those things are interconnected so you need to see start with one thing and then you'll start seeing uh, patterns uh, that that would build over time interesting and you know uh, it's easy to understand as well what you talked about right because the last question that i have for you is about uh your advice for aspiring entrepreneurs probably like you've given them some advice already but to finish it off i would like to, to give sure. some more so one advice um, both as a futurist and a fellow entrepreneur that i would give to budding entrepreneurs is focus on hardware next 10 years this decade is for hardware startups i know hardware is hard <laughs> making something on a screen or a software and simulating it and doing it is much easier but making a robot walk from uh, you know one room to the other <laughs> takes everything Crazy. in you yeah so if think long term if you take an example of let's say boston dynamics hmm. right now they are looking for a product market fit they don't have a network of dealer distributors they don't have a service network they're still seeing how the stock where the spot robot will go hmm. but boston dynamics was started officially in 1992 wow and much before that it where it was not boston dynamics something else but 1992 proper boston dynamics wow. So 30 years, you know, uh, building in that and not knowing where the product will go or where the product will fit. Yeah. So um, this concept is a little alien to uh, uh, the entrepreneur and investor community at this point of time, wherein investing in startups and getting returns after 10, 20, 30 uh, years yes, yeah. and focusing on long-term innovation. But uh, mark my words, this is going to be the thing that is going to differentiate our country in the future, any country in the future. And if you have more entrepreneurs in this particular space, in the innovation space, not only you will be able to do well for yourself, your uh, family, your employees, and, and as a company and as for shareholders, you'll also be able to do better for the country and the world. Uh, so, yeah, that would be the advice in a nutshell. Super, Bobby. I think uh, on that note, I'll I'll end this episode. It was super interesting to have this in-depth conversation with you about futuristic technology and the work you're doing at Twin. And, you know, I hope to learn more from you in the future as well, because uh, the future is exciting and you have so much knowledge uh, in that domain as well. So thank you, Avi, once again for joining in on the episode. I'm, I'm humbled to have you. Yeah. And yep, let's keep talking. I'm merely a student. Thank you so much for having me here and asking such probing, interesting questions. Um, love to share the views. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Look forward to being with you again. Same here. Thank you. Thanks very much. Good.